Hi, this is Jimmy Evans with Marriage Today. This podcast is dedicated to equipping families with the teaching and tools they need to succeed. We hope you enjoy this episode and subscribe for more marriage building content. We do not have the capacity to love as human beings. The only thing we can do is receive the Holy Spirit into our lives. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, the fruit of the Spirit is love. We are able to love each other because we're first of all loved by God. I am able to impart love to you because love was imparted to me by God. The more dependent I am on the Holy Spirit, the more I admit my inability to love on my own and the fact that I need God, the more I'm set up for success and the ability to be married properly. The Holy Spirit is game, set, and match in marriage. In Genesis chapter two, when God created marriage, the first thing he did was breathe the Spirit into it. And when he breathed his spirit into marriage, marriage was prepared for success. So in our lives, we can begin with this measure. Am I going to succeed or fail? Am I going to find a person who will love me or am I going to be disappointed? The most important standard in that is to marry a person who has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord of their life and walks in a spirit-dependent way. And when you have a person that you're married to who honors Christ and honors the Holy Spirit, you're ready to be loved up. When you don't, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to get your heart broken. And so I want to talk about how to walk in God's love and how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's begin with the dilemma of our flesh. This is number one. In order for us to walk in the fullness of God's love and the fullness of the Holy Spirit in relationships, we have to begin with the fact that we have fallen flesh. So this is Romans 7, where I ask you to turn there. This is the Apostle Paul. I'm going to give the Apostle Paul a title that I believe he deserves, the best Christian ever. The Apostle Paul was the best Christian ever. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He wrote most of the New Testament. He was an extraordinary man. And he's making a confession here that we need to listen to because we can all relate to this. This is Romans 7, and the Apostle Paul is talking about his inability to do the right thing. Here's what he says. We know that the law is spiritual. I'm carnal sold under sin for what I'm doing, I don't understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Anybody ever felt that way? I keep doing what I hate. I don't, okay. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree that the law is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I don't find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then that a law is present, that evil is present in me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity, into the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Well, let's stop right there. Let me me go back to the title I just gave to the Apostle Paul, the best Christian ever. The Apostle Paul, I believe, is the best Christian that probably ever lived. And here's what he says. When I want to do the right thing, I can't do it. And when I want to stop doing the wrong thing, I can't stop. 
Anybody ever feel that way? He's just being honest. He's saying, I, there's nothing good in me that is in my flesh. My fallen, not my body, okay? My flesh is not my body. My flesh is my fallen nature that manifests through my body. Okay. So he's saying evil is present in me. The best Christian ever. <laughs> the best Christian ever is making a confession. And he's saying, I can't do it. I cannot do it. I keep trying to do the right thing. I cannot do it. I keep trying to stop doing the wrong thing. I cannot do it. And I find that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, and there's not one good thing that dwells in my flesh. Best Christian ever. So let me ask you a question. If the best Christian ever can't do it, you think you can? Do I, do I think I can? Let me go back to what I said. Love is not in people. We are not good people. We just happen to serve a great God. It's not about Jimmy, it's about Jesus. It will never be about me, it never was about me. It's not about me, it's about Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul, the best Christian ever, was the best Christian ever because he operated in truth. And the truth is, it, I do not have the capacity to do the, wrong, the right thing and I do not have the capacity within myself to stop doing the wrong thing. It's just not in me because I'm a fallen person with fallen flesh and it will be that way till Jesus comes. Okay, that's just the way it is. So here's the wonderful thing. There's an answer. Okay. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. This is Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. The Apostle Paul is answering the question that he brought up, a wretched man that I am who is going to deliver me from this body of death. I say then walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Well, let me say something now. Tomorrow, you're gonna to wake up tomorrow, and you have two choices. You're gonna walk according to your flesh or the Spirit. That's the only choice you have. There aren't three choices. There aren't any choices. You're either gonna walk in the flesh, or you're gonna walk in the Spirit. And if you walk in the flesh, you're gonna manifest some of these things that Paul lists here as deeds of the flesh. Dissensions, jealousy, envy, outbursts of anger, all of those kinds of things. That's the, those are the things that our flesh naturally wants to do. But if you walk in the spirit, you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. Why? Because the Holy Spirit overpowers our flesh. When the apostle Paul says, I know the right thing to do, I just can't do it. That is unless I'm under the Holy Spirit. If I'm under the, here's the wonderful thing the Holy Spirit does. Every day, anytime we ask, he overpowers our flesh, he changes our desires, and he gives us the ability to do the right thing. He changes our desires. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How many of you are believers here? You've received Christ? As you, okay, raise your hand. You can't be condemned. Okay. Well, let me ask you, I'll ask a question. I'm gonna answer this question. Then why can't we be condemned? If, if I'm a Christian, why can't I be condemned? Here's the answer because God knows I can't. First of all, Jesus died for my sins and I've been justified forever by the blood of Jesus. Jesus has forgiven me and I can't be condemned by the devil. But here's the re other reason I can't be condemned. God doesn't expect me to do it. God doesn't expect you to be righteous. The Bible says all of your righteousness is like filthy rags. You're saying, you mean Jimmy that God doesn't expect us to do the right thing? Yeah, God expects us to do the right thing, but he knows we have no capacity to do it without the Holy Spirit. And so when we do the wrong thing, it's not like God's surprised. It's not like we're already forgiven by the blood of Jesus. If you're a believer, you're forgiven. You've been perfected forever by the blood of Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. You cannot be condemned. 
Okay, but the other part is this. God's not surprised when I sin. He knows I can't do it without the Holy Spirit. He, God doesn't expect me not to sin. God expects me to walk in the Spirit. I can't do anything about my sin until I'm walking in the Spirit. Jimmy Evans is not a good man. I am not a good man. I am not a good man. But I serve an awesome God. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I have been able to be a good husband to Karen. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I've been able to be a good father and grandfather. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I've been able to fulfill the ministry that God's given me. Every single thing I've done is because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm saying to all of us, he wants to be, he wants to be in our lives. We, we were never designed to live without him. And with him, we can't, without him, we can't do anything good. But with him, we can do anything God wants us to do. He transforms our lives. Remember Peter, that Peter was a coward that denied Jesus in his hour of trial? And after the Holy Spirit fell, Peter became this courageous preacher of the gospel who was ultimately martyred for his faith. God, the Holy Spirit changes everything. And the Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. He makes you normal. Let me talk about one more thing and, and we'll close. This is Galatians 5. Let me go back to Galatians 5. And I kind of want to just go through a read through the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Well, first of all, the fruit of the Spirit is God's personality. This, this is how God acts. This is, this is how, these are the standards of God's personality. And notice it says, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Well, crucifixion is the most cruel form of death on earth. Okay. So when the Bible says to crucify something, it means be merciless with it. When, you, when you're being jealous, don't give that any mercy. When you're being angry, don't give that any mercy. When, when you find your flesh manifesting, don't justify it. Don't minimize it. Don't rationalize it. Crucify it. Those who are Christ give no mercy to their flesh. But you're going to walk in the Spirit. The answer, again, is walking in the Spirit. So let's go, let's go into the nine fruits of the Spirit. And I just kind of want to read through these, a definition of each of the fruits of the Spirit. Because when we're praying for the Holy Spirit to give us grace and to fill us up and to prepare us to love other people, when we're praying that, the manifestation is what we're about to read here. The, what, what we're about to read is what we want to see manifested in our lives. And if anything else is manifested, we're not going to give it any mercy. We're going to crucify it. Number one is love. Agape. God's sacrificial love based out of the will that does what is right regardless of feelings or circumstances. Let me tell you the problem. Agape love is the only love that is not based on emotion. So you fall in love with somebody and, and they, they say they love you. It's great. I mean, you know, there's all different kinds of love. Uh, eros is sexual love. Uh, epithumia is passionate kind of a love. Storge is a family kind of a love. Phileo is a friendship kind of a love. So there are different kinds of loves. But let me ask you a question. When someone says they love you, what happens when their emotions change? Because you can't predict your emotions. None of us can. See, agape love is a love that doesn't have to feel to love. In Hebrews 13, 5, God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Let me say this another way. Did you know that if God feels like leaving you, he won't? 
And if God feels like forsaking you, he won't because God is not led by his feelings. God is led by his commitments. And agape love is a sacrificially committed love that says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I don't care how I'm feeling, I'm gonna treat you the way Jesus would. I have the ability to act above my emotions or to act without emotions. That's what agape love is. I'm always gonna do the right thing and you can count on me. I don't have this fragile, fickle kind of a love that's here today and gone tomorrow and everything's based on how I feel. Agape love is the greatest love in the entire universe. Number two is joy. An abiding sense of well-being and hope in spite of difficult circumstances. Even if I'm going through difficulty, just, joy just believes that God's there. Joy just believes everything's gonna work out. Did you know that a depressed person Happiness is depend, depends on happenings. Happiness is circumstantial. And someone says, are you happy? Well, you can be happy right now and sad five minutes from now. A depressed person can watch comedy on television for 30 minutes, and during that 30 minutes, they can be happy, but as soon as they turn the TV off, they become depressed again, right? So if I change my circumstances temporarily, maybe I can change my emotions temporarily, but the number one answer for depression is the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit gives us the joy of God. And that joy of God overcomes depression. And it's not based on circumstances. I can have the joy of God even in difficulty. The joy in Isaiah 61, it says the oil of joy for mourning, for sadness. God gives us the oil of joy. The thing about oil, water evaporates. Oil is very durable and it doesn't evaporate. And when the Bible calls joy oil, by the way, the Holy Spirit's also called oil, it means when I'm asking God to fill me with joy, it doesn't evaporate in five minutes. It stays with me all day. It's very durable, even through difficult circumstances. The next is peace. An inner sense of tranquility and calmness, again, in spite of circumstances. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And by the way, according to Colossians 3.15, peace is one of the most important ways that God leads us. Now, listen to what I'm about to say. The peace of God is tangible. You feel it. You sense the peace of God. If you don't sense the peace of God, pray until you do. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with peace because when we're, when we're making decisions, the Bible doesn't say, well, a lot, of, a lot of times we're making decisions, the Bible doesn't have anything to say about what we're doing. What, what school you put your kids in, what car you buy, things like that. And peace, according to Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God umpire your hearts is literally what the word means. So the peace of God in my life, when I don't sense a peace about something, I don't act. Because the lack of peace is telling me God doesn't want me to do that. But when I'm sensing the peace of God about something, always in you know, alignment with the word of God now and with what Karen believes, in my case, when you're married. But when I sense the peace of God, I act. Karen and I have made decisions for the last 42 years and we've never made a mistake when we acted on the peace of God. Not one. When we pray and we ask God to, to show us and give us peace, and both of us have peace, we've never made a wrong decision. Peace is a wonderful gift that God gives us to protect our emotions and to guide us in life. The next is long-suffering. It's the word macrothumia in the Greek. It means to suffer long or to be angry long. It means I have the ability to stay committed in a relationship regardless of how I might feel. I can suffer long with you through a situation. I'm not uh, fragile. I'm not, you know, uh, shallow in my relationships. The next is kindness. Good-natured and harmless to others. Respectful of others' feelings and the inherent value of each individual. Kind people respect other people's feelings. Rude people don't respect other people's feelings. Goodness is committed to actively doing what is morally right 
and in the best interest of others. Again, when I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to fill me, he gives me his desires. He changes my nature from a sin nature to a good nature by his spirit. He overcomes my flesh by putting his nature over my flesh and giving me his desires. Faithfulness, remaining true and steadfast to my faith in Christ in spite of difficulty or opposition. By the way, according to 1 Corinthians 12, faith is a gift. And so God has given to each person a measure of faith, but he'll give you more faith when you pray for it. And what does that mean? In the worst circumstances, I can believe that my God is able to overcome them. In the worst situation that we're going through in marriage, I don't become overwhelmed and cynical and negative. I put faith in my God and I watch him come through. And your mouth can destroy your marriage or your mouth can save your marriage. But when you turn your mouth toward God and you pray, God, fill me up with more faith. Give us more faith in this circumstance. He will, and it's a game changer. Gentleness, an attitude of faith in God concerning relations with others. It is strength under control that can express anger or disagreement, but does so in the light of God's sovereign power to change people and circumstances. Some of you might remember, because this is a powerful word. Gentleness here is an incredibly powerful word. You ever remember the, there was this mother that went to this zoo with her infant, uh, maybe like a one-year-old child or two-year-old child, and the child fell into the gorilla pit? I don't remember that story from the news. And the child fell over the edge into the gorilla pit, and it was these silverback gorillas in there, males. And you could see, you know, as soon as the child fell in there, you could just see the gorilla coming over and taking the child and throwing the child up against the wall and killing her or something. The silverback gorilla walked over to this infant that was knocked out. The mother screaming from above. And the silverback gorilla walks up to this child, reaches out a finger and strokes the child's back. And when they came to get the child, the gorilla backed up and let him get the child. Gentleness is not a weak person. Gentleness is a silverback gorilla walking up to an infant and stroking it with a finger. I could kill you if I wanted to. I've chosen not to because my God is gonna deal with you, I won't. I'm not a weak person. I just believe that my God can deal with you. And the last is self-control. The ability to strain my behavior and to live a life of balance. Again, the Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. The Holy Spirit puts you in control of yourself. And you say, I need more self-discipline. No, you don't. You need more Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will give you the ability to control things. When the Apostle Paul says, I want to stop doing that, but I can't stop doing that, the Holy Spirit will help you stop doing that. Holy Spirit, give me self-control in, in this particular area. And he does. The Holy Spirit's free. He's, he's God. He's very God of very God. But he's free. He's a gift of grace. And all of us are messed up without him. The Apostle Paul admitted his problem and admitted the only solution to take a wretched man and to make him into a powerful, best Christian on earth was the Holy Spirit. We all need the Holy Spirit. We were designed by God to operate under the power of the Holy Spirit. Marriages work when they're spirit-filled. Relationships work when they're spirit-filled. We're able to live our lives the way God wants us to when we're spirit-filled. And the good news is he's a gift. He'll come into our lives anytime. Hey there, we are Dave and Ashley Willis with Marriage Today, and today we're gonna to talk about the power of love in marriage and how we can practically show love to our spouse. That's right, and, and that word love, when you say it, a hundred different people might give you a hundred different definitions about what it really means, but love the way God intended, it isn't just a fickle feeling that we fall into or out of, it's a commitment, it's rooted in commitment and in our actions, and yeah, feelings often, often come with it, they often follow, but love isn't a feeling, it's something so much more. And so we wanna take just a few minutes 
and talk about how to put love into action in your own marriage. Three very simple, very practical tips that you and I can do every day in our own marriages. And number one is listening. When you give your spouse your focused attention, you're communicating your love to them. This is so true. And to be very honest with you all, I was not really a very good listener in the beginning of our marriage. And I kind of made the biggest mistake that I could make in the beginning that kind of made us crazy by thinking that Dave was gonna be a mind reader of mine. And this this made it pretty crazy in the beginning of our marriage. You know, I just kind of assumed he could read my mind. And I assumed that I could me read these, his. Like, telepathic yes. shots and I'm like, I've got no idea what's going on. I'm, I'm not sure what, what you're thinking. You gotta say say it out loud. It's true and in the same way, I thought I could read his mind. So really when he was talking to me, I wasn't really being a good listener and I learned that this was madness. And so, you know, when we listen to our spouse, it's not just kind of pausing in conversation, it's actually tuning in and giving him or her the opportunity to share their thoughts and feelings and really listening to those and taking them into account. And when we do this, it cultivates more love in the relationship and more respect. It absolutely does. Your listening communicates love almost more so than your words, even though you need to with your words. You need to say, I love you. You need to tell your spouse specific attributes you love about them. But when you take the time to listen, it communicates your love loud and clear. But the other part of communication, which is number two on our list of how to love, is what you do with your words. And it's to be an encourager. Encouragement is number two. Listening, then encouragement. Be your spouse's biggest encourage or not their biggest critic. Speak words of kindness because the tone of your words will really shape the tone of your marriage. It's so true. You know, I think so many marriages can kind of get stuck in a negative rut. And a lot of times it's because there haven't been words of encouragement between the two of them. Instead, it's been kind of these negative little things and and little jabs they say to each other. So I just want to challenge you that, you know, take the time to think about things that your spouse is doing right and encourage them every day. Make it your mission to find something good they are doing and tell them about it. You, you'll be amazed of what that simple thing will do to your marriage. I, yes. I think that encouragement is maybe the greatest hidden superpower that we all <laughs> possess that we don't use enough, especially in marriage. And mm-hmm. if you'll be an encourager, if you'll wake up in the morning and say, man, I wanna be a cheerleader of my spouse's strengths and not just a, a somebody who's pointing out all their weaknesses. If you'll be an right. encourager, it will, it'll do wonders for your marriage. Right. All right, number three, serve. Love in marriage requires a daily commitment to place the needs and desires of your spouse ahead of your own needs. When we selflessly serve, we're displaying love in its truest form. It's so true. You know, I think so many times we can get so focused on our own schedule and our own needs and what we want in our marriage and in our life, but that's not what God called us to. God said that we need to be selfless. We need to serve one another. And when we do this, it just puts our marriage in the right place. And it shows our spouse that they matter, that we love them, that we're thinking about them. And it's best when we can serve without being asked to do so. You know, when we do this, it just shows that we've thought about what our spouse needs rather than what we need. And when we do serve one another, it just has, you know, so many benefits and it really creates a deeper love between the two of us. That's right. That's what love is, is putting the needs of someone else ahead of your own needs. And when you serve, that's what you're doing. And it's what Jesus did for us. He modeled this for us. He served. He even gave his life as an act of love. And then he says, now, husbands, I want you to love your wife with that same kind of selfless, sacrificial love. Man, what a high standard, but what what a beautiful example our Savior has given to us. So if you want to unlock the power of love in your own marriage, do these three things consistently. Listen to each other, encourage each other, serve each other, and you'll be amazed at what happens as a result. Thanks for taking the time to watch this. We'll see you next time. 
We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast, and we want to let you know about another marriage podcast with Dave and Ashley Willis called Naked Marriage, where they talk about real and raw marriage topics like sex, communication, openness, and more in a fun, lighthearted atmosphere. Search for Naked Marriage with Dave and Ashley Willis in iTunes and start listening today. 